0: A reading also from Psalm 131. O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, my eyes are not haughty, I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, but I have calmed and quieted my soul, like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and let the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Word of the Lord.
1: You may be seated. Let me pray and we'll look at this text. Father, as we just sang before our confession of sin, uh, in the, actually in the first song, the chorus of Sovereign God. O oh, Sovereign God, you are Lord over all. You chose to save, redeem your bride from the fall. You bled and died, you rose to life. We walk in peace because we know you're a sovereign God. Father, this is true of your son Jesus that we in him have a peace, as we just heard, that passes understanding. uh, And frankly, also sometimes it's a peace that's hard to lay hold of in our own understanding. But we pray by the power of your spirit that we would be enabled to do that this morning and increasingly in our life as your Holy Spirit bears the fruit of Christ in our own. Help us now, uh, if we aren't prone to communicate it clearly, help me to communicate clearly. If we're prone to miss here or to screen out things, just give us grace so that we do not do that. Strengthen us and deepen us now in Christ's name. Amen. We have the same kitchen table we did. We got our kitchen table, our dining room table, and we got married. So it's working on its third decade, almost three decades old now. And uh, it's a good, like, solid oak piece, but it does look dated. I don't know if you remember when the the country style was in. It's no longer in. hasn't been in for, like, 20 years. But our table is like that. It's this blonde oak thing. And a couple years ago, when we redid our kitchen and dining room, I thought, it's time to get a new table. But we didn't, mostly because tables cost a lot of money. And um, I keep looking at that table and keeping an eye on sales and thinking, maybe I should replace this table. And we just haven't. And it's hard for me to think of it replacing that table for one reason, probably like many of your tables, there are so many memories at that table. And so maybe at this point, we're just going to have it refinished. So if any of you refinish tables, this is a commercial, I will hire you to refinish my table if you'll do a good job, uh, depending on the price. Uh, So many memories at that table, so many meals at that table. We've eaten very good in our family over the years, and we had this value of eating together if we possibly could and that meant because most of our kids did extracurriculars a lot of times we were eating dinner at nine o'clock at night didn't matter we were going to eat together and then oftentimes after that meal a great conversation would ensue it's it's hard you know get to be teenagers It's hard to keep them at the table because they just want to go but like Keep, stay there at that table as the food settles in for so the afterglow of dinner and like you're, you're no longer fidgety because you're not hungry, you just want to talk. And so many good conversations with our family, with many of you have happened at that table. Family, friends, church members, there's all kinds of conversations about the gospel and life and wisdom some crises happening, some premarital counseling happening with some of the people in this room, some postmarital counseling happening with some of the people in this room. A lot of celebration, crying, praying, laughing. All of this happens in these after-dinner conversations. Probably most of the significant conversations we've had in our own life with our children happened after dinner and then unto the like 11 and midnight hour. Uh a lot of life impact after dinner. The passage Megan read for us in John 14 is literally an after-dinner passage, an after-dinner conversation Jesus had with his closest disciples. It is after the dinner that we now call the Last Supper, the Passover meal. They didn't know it was the last supper, the last Passover meal they would have with Jesus, but it was until we celebrate it new with him in the new earth. It, it is the source of where we get our communion, the Lord's table, what we'll celebrate together in a few minutes. Just before this, Jesus has washed their feet and said, I want you to serve each other like I'm serving you now. And then he had the Passover meal. At that meal, he says, one of you will betray me. And Judas leaves then to go betray Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He then predicts that Simon Peter will deny him. And Simon said, of course I won't. And we know that he did. And then Jesus explains after that meal, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But if anyone comes by me, they come to the Father And then he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to come to you by my Holy Spirit. And they were like, huh? And they didn't get it. They barely got it. And they got it at Pentecost many days later. And then after that, he says these words in John 14, 25 that Megan read. Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. My peace I give to you. Now, this was originally, of course, to his disciples, but as we've been seeing when we're looking at this passage in Galatians 5, which we call the fruit of the Spirit, the peace of Christ is one thing that's also produced in us by the Holy Spirit. So not only is this to his disciples, it is to those who are in Christ. So if you are in Christ this morning, what this is Jesus saying to you also, my peace I give to you. And I, I'm committed to do that through my Spirit who's cultivating that in you. So on the front of your insert, we have this uh, little fruit here, and then we're looking at the, the, the aspect of the fruit of the Spirit called peace today. And remember the passage we're looking at, Galatians 5, and 23, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Peace is a concept that shows up about 500 times in the Bible which means that one little sermon, we're not just like a little scratch in the surface. So this is just an introduction and maybe not even a comprehensive introduction. It's the word in the Old Testament that means completeness or wholeness, shalom, is usually translated peace. It's kind of the picture of what things were supposed to be like and what things will be like again and the way we we tasted that right now in Jesus. And so if you think about peace you can think about three axes of peace in the bible one is eternal peace that we have with god producing in us an internal peace that empowers us to pursue an external peace with other people so eternal internal external is three just helpful ways to remember that we're not really going to it's not structured this way but it's a helpful memory aid probably here we're just talking about a certain type of calm in christ uh, that, that's that's kind of peace the Spirit is cultivating in you and me as we cooperate with his cultivation. Not a calm that's sort of this placidness that doesn't care or doesn't get involved, but a, what we might call a non-reactive, non-anxious rootedness and anchoredness in Jesus that allows us to be non-anxious relatively in whatever circumstance we find ourselves in all this is cultivated in us for God's glory, for our good, for the blessing of each other. Like it's good to be around peaceful people. It also is a picture of the world to come, right? The Shalom. So it is a blessing to our neighbors for to see God's people peaceful because that's the life he's inviting them into. Okay. So the the idea we're driving at this morning in your insert there on the on the right is that this is this the Holy Spirit Cultivates the peace of Jesus in his people as a picture of the world to come. The work of the Spirit is cultivating peace in our life. And at the end, we're going to see we can cooperate with that a little bit, or not so much. You you know that as well as I do. We're going to drive at this by asking three questions very simple where is this peace located? What does it do? And then practically, how does it deepen in our life? Where is it located? What does it do? How does it deepen in our life? The answer to all these questions are in the bold text there, those last two verses of John 14. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your, let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. Um, so this is to the disciples and it's to you and me. If you're not in Christ, this is an invitation to us today. Where is this peace located? Jesus begins by saying, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. The answer of where it's located is <laughs> in Jesus, relationally in Christ. So again, like all the, the fruit of the spirit we've been talking about, this is not a substance we go out and get. I, it's not, you can't get it. It's not a substance you can go out and retrieve for yourself. That's not what this is talking about. It's not a level. We don't like level up to like, oh, I'm the peaceful person now. It's not this formula like we acquire. It's a person, Jesus, and he shares himself with us. That is where the peace he offers is located, in himself. Where else? Nowhere, in himself only. And I think there's no greater picture of this than in Luke 22, which is the, on your insert on the left side. And though this isn't the gospel of Luke, and we just read from the gospel of John, what you need to know is this, this happens just a couple minutes after the John reading. So right after John 14, 27, he says, let your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. The text says, they got up and left. And that's where this text picks up in Luke 22. Uh, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. So this is after the Last Supper. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father... If you are willing, remove this cup from me. Now that, push a pause there, that cup is a reference to the Old Testament, cup of God's wrath. This is Jesus uh, seeing what's rushing up to meet him in the cross, him standing in the place of his people, drinking down the effects of their sin, which all together could be called the cup of wrath. And in his own human experience, he's like, this is gonna be hard. Jesus is God and he is fully man. In his fully human experience, he's like, this is overwhelming to me. Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he arose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. While he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and a man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. He drew near Jesus to kiss him, but Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? That's the crowd that with the soldiers that are gonna arrest Jesus, and that's the answer to his prayer. The cup will not pass from him. But this is the type what we see here is the type of peace that's in Christ that he shares with us. He entrusts himself to God. Now, honestly, wrestling is like, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. In some real way, peace is simply resting in the will of God. When we don't understand it, yes. When it's complicated, yes. When it's painful, yes. Peace is resting in the will of God because he is your father as he was to Jesus. So this is what it means, but he says, my peace I give to you. It's also his peace because he accomplishes it for us because he didn't say no to the cup. He said, he said nevertheless, whatever your will is, I'll take it. And he takes the cup and drinks it down. That's what the cross is. So that, we have this other sort of well-known passage in Romans 5, it's in the, on your insert too. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the eternal peace. If you're in Christ, you can say, you have peace with God because of Jesus. And I think all of our understanding of any kind of peace has to begin right here. Uh, You... Are you a Christian? (laughs) If you are a Christian, if you're a disciple of Jesus, what is true about you is that all that is left for you with God is peace. Remember, that word means more than just like calmness. It means wholeness and completion. And if you're not, this is the life Jesus invites you into. Peace with God. Does this mean that apart from God, apart from Jesus, we do not have peace with God. That's exactly what this means. (laughs) Apart from Jesus, we do not have peace with God. And we do nobody any favors if we pacify them in a situation where they don't actually have peace and say, you have peace. where there is no peace. Remember what the scripture says about me in Romans 3. Don't think about yourself, anybody else. Just think about your pastor for a second. This is what I'm like apart from Christ according to Romans 3. I'm a sinner, right? I'm a rebel. I want life my way. This is apart from Jesus. Roger on his own, apart from Jesus, wants life his own way. I want to be the Lord of my own life. I want to create my own law, and I want everybody to do my law. I say, apart from Jesus, Lord, not your will be done, but mine. And I'm in good company. Because you know who else is like that? You. <laughs> All of us are like, this is what Romans 3 says. That, okay, it gets a little bit worse because we continue in the book of Romans and we say that puts us in a particular category with God. Enemies. <laughs> Hardcore, right? He says we're, we have enmity with God. That means that we have an enemy status with God apart from Christ. And we, the illustration we've used over the years is, is that of a cancer surgeon and his or her posture toward the cancer in his patient. That cancer surgeon takes the posture of an enemy toward that cancer. And he or she is intent on removing that cancer because he loves the patient. In the biblical worldview, the patient is this world. And sin is a cancer. And because God has called it very good and it will be made very good again, he's absolutely committed to removing the sin and the rebellion and the destruction of it for it's good, like a good doctor. And that's exactly what we see Jesus doing at the cross. That's why he says yes to the cup of wrath. And so that we can say, now you are permanently at peace with God, if you're in Christ. It's such freedom. To press it a little bit more. Here's a rhetorical question. Relationally, is Jesus Christ at peace with God? Yes or no? Okay, if you don't answer this, nobody's come to the table. Okay, if we can't, because relationally, is Jesus Christ at peace with God the Father? Yes, that's the answer, right, yes. Okay, we'll do it the Sunday school way. Who is most at peace with God? That's almost correct, but not totally. Is Jesus Christ more at peace with God than you are if you're in Christ? No. No. He's not, you're as at peace because you are in him permanently united to him forever. You can't be more at peace with God than you are because you are as at peace with God as Jesus himself is if you're in him. That's remarkable freedom. That's deep peace. And by the way, the son delights in this, the father delights in this and the Holy Spirit delights in this. It's not like he's saying, oh, Roger is in Christ. Gosh, I thought we could get away from him. No, there's a delight there. So do you know you have peace with God? If you do not, he invites you to it. It's permanent. It's forever. It's beautiful. It's deep and we never get used to it. And it comes only through Jesus. Jesus. This is the thing about grace. It gets us down to this very narrow point where it's in Jesus. And that makes us uncomfortable until we realize it always works. <laughs> and anyone can come in to and through him for this peace. And therefore, we can hear things like John 16, Jesus a little bit later says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation But take heart, I have overcome the world. For the Christian, there's an ongoing source of peace. Now, we may not be laying hold of it all the time. I get that. But there's this like secret source of peace in a world like that's storm-tossed. We're like, yeah, we may be tossed around, but we have a peace in the middle of that. It's like a secret source because it's Jesus himself. That's where it's located. What does this peace do? Lots of things, but... What I want to get at here is like it distinguishes us from the world in which we live. Jesus says, My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, do I give to you. So he's saying, I think, there is a type of peace the world gives. That's not what I'm talking about. And there's a way that that worldly peace is acquired. That's also not what I'm talking about. So generally, I think we would say that the peace the world gives is a peace. of of negative circumstances being removed. So you can have peace if your health is good and or national security is strong, right? Helps if you're an American for that one. Um, If the kids are doing okay, if we're receiving recognition at work, if our neighbor has the right yard sign or at least not the wrong yard sign, whatever, right? If... If, 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 it's circumstantial peace. That's what's offered by our world. And those things are attained often by exercising power in some way or control or strategy or resources or getting someone else to do that for you. If you can't find anybody, just wait till election season and somebody will make a promise. They will come and give you the peace that you could never find apart from them being in office. Now, the truth is in Jesus, none of these things are necessary. None of them. We can have bad health, no national security, kids on the rocks, receive no recognition at work, and have a miserable neighbor and complete peace in Christ. Why? Because peace is found in him, not in any of those other things. Now look at how this sets the people of God apart. Luke 12, these are all in your insert here. Again, we often work through a long passage of scripture in New City with this Fruit of the Spirit series, we're not doing that. We're kind of moving amid several texts. And Jesus said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For all the nations of the world seek after these things and your father knows that you need them. And I forgot to put the rest of that in there. It says, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So what this is happening in this passage, this is one of the places Jesus does it. He does it multiple places in the gospels. He is inviting you to deal with all your anxiety with one word, right? The word is father, father, Now to me, the, the elegant design simplicity of that approach either means Jesus is completely naive or the most brilliant person who ever lived. I'm gonna go with the latter, right? Um, father, imagine what happens in our soul when we take this reality deeply into our life that we have a heavenly father with whom we are at peace. We have a heavenly father who governs all things. Now with his son, through his spirit, as we sang in the chorus of sovereign God, we walk in peace because we know that you're a sovereign God. Governing all things. Nothing happening outside of his will. A lot of things happening outside of our understanding. Nothing happening outside of his will. We have a heavenly father with whom we're at peace. He governs all things and he loves us very much. In fact, he loves us with the same ruthless love with which he loves Jesus himself. Now, take our anxiety, line it up against that. What happens to our anxieties? I think it creates all kinds of space in our life. That might be the internal peace actually don't have to be worried about all these things. It doesn't stop us from being worried. We'll talk about some practical applications in a second, but we don't have to be. And in some ways, we, we simply must keep taking the fatherhood of God to ourselves over and over again, probably why Jesus teaches us something like, when you pray, pray this way. Our father who is in heaven, your dad, he loves you. He's a good dad. He's in control of everything. Relax. That internal space, I think, then gives us uh, an ability to be attentive to what we might call external peace. Romans 14, the context of Romans 14 is kind of an argument about asserting individual rights and food laws and all that kind of stuff. We don't have time for that. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So then, or therefore, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. This is what a kingdom of God's about. Righteousness, peace, and joy. That's pretty cool. Like, so then, let's pursue joy. Amen, we talked about that last week. Righteousness, that's our life. And pursue peace with one another. So, here's a question. Do you lack peace with anyone in the body of Christ? Last night at our Strength to Strength meeting, we said, do you have any broken relationships and because we're like, well, no, broken relationships, okay, fine. As a counselor, a wise counselor told me one time, we're talking about my anger, he's like, don't use the word angry, because you can find a way not to be angry in your own head. Use perturbed. <laughs> use aggravated. I'm like, oh, dang, he's right. Okay, not broken. How about this? Do you have any frayed relationships? Stressed relationships? Difficult relationships? hard relationships, strained relationships. Maybe you're super spiritual and say, this is a relationship where extra grace required is a reality, right? I get it. Do you have any neglected relationships? Ignored relationships? Untended, careless relationships? Probably many of us do. What is the call here? So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. In the pursuit of these relationships, there is nothing that will happen that can take away your peace that is with God. Can. And that peace that is with God will furnish you with all sorts of energy and power and forgiveness and resilience in pursuing peace. The word pursue here, by the way, means like chase with a view to overcoming. Overtaken. So like if you're gonna go Christmas shopping and lots of you have little kids here and you decide for whatever reason to take your two-year-old two Christmas shopping and you get out of the car and uh, you're getting one of the other kids unbelted like for, and the two-year-old takes off in the, in the parking lot, this crowded parking lot at Target, let's say. You're not gonna say, hope he comes back. You're gonna do whatever you need to, like one baby on the hip, stay in the car and you're going to to the other kid and you're going to chase after that 2-year-old with the vision of catching him or her that's what that word pursue means right here not pursue like well I hope I find him someday no going to get them what this says is that so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding now we can't control whether peace happens, but we certainly can, can, to, can pursue that which makes for peace, which gives it the very best opportunity for it to happen. Now, I'll tell you, this is where I often am sometimes. You know, there's this passage in Romans 12 where it says, as far as it depends with you, uh, on you, be at peace with all people. I'm like, I will do as much as I need to to be technically innocent. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I emailed that person one time. As far as it depends on me, you know, it's like so stupid. But I want to justify myself. And uh, the illustration that came to mind yesterday as so we were talking about this is like, it's like, I said, I, I knocked on the door, you know, there's a person like theoretically that I'm at, at odds with. I knocked on the door and the knock was like this. Nope, oh, nobody's here. <laughs> like take off. We do that when sometimes we actually, we need to stand there and ring the doorbell. You can't make someone answer the door. I'm speaking metaphorically now, but we can pursue what makes for peace. And even in this moment, friends, if like somebody has come to mind and you're saying, I wonder if that's the spirit, it's the spirit. Pursue that which makes for peace. You can't control whether peace happens, but you can control whether you pursue that which makes for peace. And we are so full of peace because we have peace with God. Finally here, how does peace deepen in our own life? Jesus says, let in this, that bold text again, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. There's two commands there. Imperatives, do not let your hearts be troubled, do not let them be afraid. That's, that's effort, right? So we say often grace is opposed to earning from God, not effort. Grace actually empowers effort. The spirit cultivates peace in our life as we do things that lay a hold of that peace and deepen it in our own life. So what can we do to deepen this sort of peace furnished by Jesus in our own life? Lots of things in scripture. I just want to pick out two things here. Very practical, I think. One is Psalm 131. Megan read it for you, but it says this, O Lord, my heart is not lifted up, My eyes are not haughty. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. So we have a couple of practical inroads to deeper peace in our life. One, the precursors, right? Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up. That's a reference to pride. Pride. Pride is when we are puffed up, when we are the center of all things. There's a great little book for sale out on our bookshelf. It's like two bucks, I think we have it for $2, called The Freedom of Self Forgetfulness by Tim Keller. Um, out of curiosity, anybody read this book? Oh, good, yeah. Uh, this, is real, it's, this is worth two bucks. It's an easy read. Like it's super short. You can say I read an entire book, right? And you could do it at lunchtime. It's really great. Um, it's just about pride. <laughs> and he likens pride to like, I don't remember the exact illustration, but like when your thumb is inflamed, if it's infected or it's jammed or something like that, you've got this, the thumb, like even normal things you do, then it's very sensitive. Like even trying to write, you're like, oh, I can't write hardly. That's a normal thing. When When we're prideful, our, our egos inflamed and very normal things we're very sensitive to. Somebody says something like, how dare you say that to me? How dare you think that about me? Because I'm the center of all things and everything's about me, right? That's what pride puffs us up in a way that makes us sensitive to everything. It's really hard to have peace when you're the center of everything and completely reactive to everything somebody might say, think, do, or, you know, be around you. I know this personally. <laughs> um, you even bump into something, you react because it hurts. So when a, we have a heart full of pride, everything's a big deal. Everything's a big deal. If you, not in my notes, it's always dangerous, right? So like if somebody says, hey, you're kind of a drama queen or a drama king, all they're saying is you're full of pride, typically. Now they could be, if they're right, don't brag about being highly dramatic. It just means you're full of yourself. Right? I get it. Um, So my heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not haughty. Haughty eyes are those that kind of look down on others or compare ourselves to each other. You know, it's essentially comparative and competitive. Like, is this person better? Am I winning or losing against this person in whatever, you know, field? Um... When our eyes are not haughty, when we are satisfied with peace in Christ, people don't exist in our life to be looked down on or looked up to. They exist to be loved. But when we're always comparing ourselves, when we're always competitive, when we're always, oh, that person has more than I do or less than I do. How can I get, how does he deserve this, blah, blah, blah. It's very hard to have peace. My heart is not lifted up. My eyes are not haughty. I do not occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me, okay? Or too big for me. Or one theologian says, means things I cannot understand and cannot control. Okay, this is a radical statement in our world. About to say something that some of you might be a little cross with. Um, Now, first of all, this is King David. Right? He was in charge of a lot of things. A lot of things were his business. And yet he's saying right here, like, yeah, not so much. Maybe not. Maybe I don't have control over that. And uh, that word, occupy myself means I don't walk with these things. Like, I'm not making myself at home and all this stuff I can't control. Dave Pallis and the counselor says, I've stopped pursuing impossibilities. Stop going after things that are beyond me, even everyday things. So question, what can you do about what is happening in Israel right now? Nothing, you can pray. You can pray and that is it, that's it. Maybe you can give some money to some cause, whatever, but you can complain, you can run down groups, you can run down politicians for saying the right thing, the wrong thing. You can do nothing about it. It is too high for you. It is too, in this respect, too marvelous for you. It's beyond us. What can you do about the great social ills of our time? You can and ought to pray and love the people in front of you. That is the end of our authority. Now, I realize to say... you. Some of you might be thinking, does he not care? (laughs) All I'm saying is David himself is saying, some things are too marvelous for me, too high for me, and I'm not gonna walk in them. I'm not gonna occupy myself with this all the time. And this is precursor to having a quieted soul. What can you do about who the president is or is not? You can vote. How many votes do you get? One. Truthfully, you're in Indiana. It doesn't even matter what you do, right? Probably, I'm guessing. I don't know, that's the way it always is. Uh, you can't do anything. Can you complain about it all the time? Yes. Can you listen to political people three hours a day, five hours a day, 10 hours a day? Yes. Can you get more and more mad about it? Yes. Does that do anything? Not at all. It disquiets your soul. It robs your peace. Can we do anything about the decisions our rulers make? No. We can pray, we can vote, and that's the end of our authority. What can we do about the inflation rate? Same thing, very little, right? Save more, I don't know, that's the best. What else can you do? We we cannot control other people's decisions or attitudes, even our own children, especially when they're adults. Seems like Jesus said we we can't even control daily bread. We have to pray for it and ask for it. Now, does that open us up to the charge of being unloving? Some people will say that. You know what you can do about that? Nothing. <laughs> You're just, I, uh, Now, this is sort of the genius insight of the Stoics and family systems people like Edwin Friedman. You've been, many of you have been blessed by Friedman. It's like, you can't control it, so don't worry about it. But they're just saying it because it's functional. A follower of Jesus says, we can't control it. We're not going to worry about it because it's governed by another our father who loves us and has our best in mind and is moving this story to a very good end and is completely invested in it through his son. It is governed. Verse two, I have calmed. It's what, I lay aside those things, haughty eyes, prideful heart, be, you know, listening to six hours a day of Ben Shapiro or whatever liberal person that you like to listen to. Whatever. I know Ben's not liberal. Like, I'm trying to give both sides here. Um, or whatever. I also know he's on three hours a day, but that's enough. Um, it just robs our peace. It does. <laughs> Please stop. <laughs> you know, we can't do anything about it. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother, like a weaned child is my soul within me. That's a picture, as best I understand what a wean child is like. That's <laughs> a child who's no longer breastfeeding, is no longer like, you know, the moment uh, hunger strikes, it's the end of the world, and you cry until you get fed, right? A wean child understands food is coming at the proper time, and I can sit on mom's lap easily without a lot of anxiety. There's a training there. I have calmed and quieted my soul um, there's a calming process we engage in. It is challenging, I know that. We live in a world that keeps flooding, right? So this wonderful device here is a source of a flood of anxiety and disruption of our peace in our life. We have to learn to listen for the melody of the gospel. It soon, probably next week, you will go into any store, and if you listen, hear Christmas music. Probably Mariah Carey. I don't know. but like, um, Now, you can tune it out if you want to. I certainly do. But uh, you can learn to listen for it, too. And so every store you go, ah, oh, that's the, the Christmas music. playing. Everywhere we go, friends, there's a melody of the gospel playing in our life, calling us to deeper peace in Christ, saying, hey, I've, I, Jesus is saying, I have created something for you. So that we can actually do this, Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, your Father. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds In Christ Jesus. Jesus engaged in a real wrestling in the garden, but with a real peace. And he really said from a peaceful heart, not your will, not my will, but yours be done. I'll take the cup. And he did take the cup for you. That's the cup of God's wrath. So all that's left for us is a cup of celebration, a cup of wine, a cup of joy. That's the melody that's playing in your life, guys. What you're gonna take here, I'm gonna invite you to the table. You're gonna taste is, it's gonna last on your lips and your taste buds for a few seconds, but it's actually the song that's playing in your life. You have peace with God through your Lord Jesus Christ. Now you have an internal peace to lay hold of and an external peace to pursue. If you're in Christ by faith, this table is open to you. I'll pray and invite you to the table. You'll come up as you're prepared. Be a, you know, it's three or four minutes, you don't have to jump up and get in the line. Just as you're prepared, come and grab a piece of bread from those serving, and then you'll serve yourself either red wine or white grape juice. There is gluten-free bread in the middle here on the table. You can serve that to yourself. Let me pray and invite you to the table. Jesus, you are our peace which passes understanding. We can know that in one moment and the next moment be struck and stuck in fear and anxiety, but thankfully, you do not let go of us. We have a calm place in you to return to. So help us to do that as we come to the table, be instructed and encouraged by your grace. Pray that we may have eyes to see those in our life with whom we have frayed relationships and by the power that's given to us by you Pursue peace in Christ's name.